when I directed Twelfth Night at Cincinnati Shakespeare Company, I told my composer, no lutes. And I now have just met Lou Carlozo, who has come out with a great new album called By Me and William Shakespeare, a collection of Shakespeare's poems and sonnets and songs set to new contemporary music, and there's not a single lute in it. Lou, congratulations, and thank you so much. No castrati, no harpsichords. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 672, Shakespeare Rocks Tonight. argue that Shakespeare rocks every night, and it's definitely true every time you play Lou Carlozo's new album, By Me and William Shakespeare, a collection of original tunes and a variety of styles set to the words of Shakespeare. Lou sat down with me recently to talk about his love of music and relationship to Shakespeare, and how they combined to create this great collection of songs. You ever hear that stuff like... Joy compare me to a solid <laughs> I would hear that, and as a Shakespeare fan, become really insulted because whether it's a play like Love's Labor's Lost or The Fool, as I do live by Fool, I met a fool speaking, there's this rich sort of humor, almost slapstick going through a lot of Shakespeare and a lot of spirit. And I felt, as I'm sure a lot of people do who follow Shakespeare, that sometimes there's this over-reverence, like it's the holy writ, not to touch it. And people may forget that during his lifetime, the plays weren't written down in a lot of instances. It took a lot of forensic work right after his death to get those things down on paper. And I think there was really an invitation that I felt to experiment and have fun and what's the worst that can happen. So tell me, what was the inspiration to create the album? Was it a lifetime of frustration of, of, of hearing Shakespeare's music set to languid, boring melodies? We could talk about a lifetime of frustration, but Dr. Ruth isn't here to interview me. But um, <laughs> really... It started with a couple of Shakespeare instructors I had. One was a high school teacher, I should mention her name, uh, Jerry Lifshee, and then two incredible instructors I had in college, John Tim Payne and Susan Wolfson. I went to Rutgers, and all three of them, when they would teach Shakespeare, had this glimmer in their eye, like something really cool was happening. And it may be coincidence, but at the same time, I got into the Beatles. And... Professor Tim Payne at the time was very adamant about this. He's like, Shakespeare was like the Beatles of his day. And what he meant by that was they could relate to the groundlings and the people, quote unquote, rattling the jewelry, right? <laughs> and 
so that was the view of Shakespeare that I was inculcated into. And yet I would constantly confront, and let's be fair, you see this in the blues community, you see this even among Beatles fans, this notion that it's the holy writ and that it is not to be tampered with in any way. And yet when you dig to the origins of art, a lot of it is playful and throwing paint against the wall. And I started to get into this idea, what would happen if? And then fast forward, received a commission from a small company called New World Repertory in suburban Chicago, Downers Grove. And they asked me to set a couple of Shakespeare passages from Hamlet to music. And I tried it because they gave me the license to do the music any way you want to. We're going to set it in modern times. A couple months later, they came back and said, that was really good. Why don't you try it with A Midsummer Night's Dream? And I did. And then I sat back and said, I've got the makings of a record here and then set to work. And it was that attitude that goes back to my first teachers. Have fun, regard this with all of the passion and wonder that was injected into it, and then I'm trying to pass on, see what happens. Well, I want to talk about the song from, one of the songs that's from Hamlet on this, because it's in a different style than the other songs, mm -hmm. and I loved it, and I want to talk about that later, but what are some of the styles that influence this album? Because it feels like a collection of songs by great artists who had one Shakespeare song on their album, and you've collected them and, and put them together, but they're all by you. Well, thank you. That's very kind, Austin. That's also incredibly prescient, because... When I approached the album, I decided that it's that Michelangelo type of thing, yeah, because I'm just as talented as Michelangelo, <laughs> that the sculptures inside the stone, you've got to set it free. Yeah. So I took the opposite attitude that maybe some artists would take to say the song is already there telling me what it wants to be. So sometimes that was Celtic, like the wind and the rain. And sometimes that was more kind of like a funeral dirge on steroids, which was come to dust from Cymbeline. The Hamlet song we can definitely talk about later because that's one of my favorites in that I really kind of gave the flying middle finger to the notion that Hamlet is 100% tragedy because it's not. That's the one lighthearted moment in the play. There's also this idea that I love a lot of different types of music. Why not just settle on one? Well, Shakespeare is comedies, it's tragedies, it's histories, it's fabulous freaking wordplay. Sometimes it's sticking to the poetic meter of the iambic pentameter. Sometimes it's different things that pop up in different plays. The wind in the rain is not just in, what's the source, Twelfth Night, was it? So it's not just in Twelfth Night, it appears in King Lear briefly. Yes. So for the breakdown, I pulled that out. And so really, each song sort of through my own lens, of course, and my own best guess, told me what it wanted to be. So there's probably about a half dozen or more different musical styles on the record, and also a lot of guest vocalists who yeah. appear. Yeah. Well, and one of my favorite songs is, is Hey Nani Nani. It just seems like, well, if you can't write a great song with Hey Nani Nani in it, then you just need to get out of the biz. <laughs>
Beatles. I'm a lover of late 60s, early 70s pop, pop of any age. And just, hey, nani nani. The process of creating for me is entirely about openness. I don't write the songs. I try to channel them. I know that's a new age term, so we'll send my royalty to Shirley MacLaine. Um, it's that idea that just trying, what is, again, going back to the notion of what does it want to be? And to me, right. hey, nani, nani is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or <laughs> right. some sort of pop hook. Yeah. And it just took shape around that. I think that song probably took about 15 minutes. Managing Director of the American Shakespeare Center, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company Podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? You can see Reduced Shakespeare in your own home by owning your very own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin and beautifully illustrated by Jenny Mazels. It's on sale worldwide, and you can find links to both Amazon and independent bookstores in the U.S. and U.K. on our website. Our fall of 2019 tour of the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged or revised continues next weekend in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and then continues on with performances in East Lansing, Michigan for two nights and Branchburg, New Jersey. We'll also perform the ultimate Christmas show abridged on December 14th in Pontiac, Michigan, and on three nights from December 20th to the 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona. And we'll perform the international premiere of Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel, next month as part of the London and Tel Aviv Festival in Israel, with performances in Jerusalem, Haifa, and two performances in Tel Aviv. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office, venue, and ticket information. And now back to my conversation with Lou Carlozo, the composer of all and performer of most of the great songs on his new album by me and William Shakespeare. How did you come to Shakespeare? Did you, what was your first experience with Shakespeare? Did you come as a kid or did you hate it as a kid and discover it later on? I didn't know about Shakespeare as a kid. I grew up in this Italian-American household where high culture was the Three Stooges. Nice. <laughs> and you know, exposed to all of Dean Martin and Sinatra and whatnot. Uh-huh. But always attracted to fire because I came from a very fiery southern Italian, like, hey, what are you looking at kind of household? And in high school, I was introduced to Hamlet as a senior. And boy, did the light bulb not only go off, it exploded because... Let's face it, like every 16 or 17-year-old kid is convinced that the world is a dark place and nobody understands him and woe is me. And I look back at it now and I laugh, but it was like Hamlet was like my bro. He could understand me because nobody gets me and life is so serious. And that was my entryway. And again, Because you thought that not that Hamlet understood you, but that Shakespeare understood you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that Hamlet and I would go hang out and drink milkshakes and talk about how worthless life was. Right. And yet I knew there was more. And about that time, we did Julius Caesar as a rote exercise. True story. Was that we had to recite a passage of the play for a grade. And my teacher, 
I was always trying to get under her skin. She said, <laughs> now make sure you pick a passage with just one person in it because it's very distracting if you go back and forth. I found the passage with the most characters. You know, like there was 17 different voices in it. It's that notion that I had fun with it. And my teacher, of course, was furious. I did get an A, though. Yeah. And why not explore this dark side that I was looking into with Hamlet, but also to me with this funny side, like taking this historical tragic play and just having as much fun with it as I could because to me it was a Monty Python sketch. I might as well have put, you know, something cockney in it or whatever. <laughs> and that... Everything's lighted off protest too much. <laughs> Fancy that penguin being on the television set. Um, so these two things were kind of starting at the same time and collided fully in college that sometimes it was fun to apply humor to things in Shakespeare that weren't necessarily humorous, but again, like when people really know the root of some of this stuff, they may be shocked. Like in The Fool's Tale, and we were talking about original pronunciation on Shakespeare, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do a bad version of that. And, and so from all to all, we rap and ripe. Ripe, we know as ripe. It was a pun in Shakespeare's time for rape. So from hour to hour, we rape and rape and rot and rot. And he's talking about, like, this unbelievably bad sexual behavior in the pond. Like, Who knew? Yeah. So it's, it's constantly, you know, Shakespeare is a goldmine, and it's a way to explore. And it's constantly being recreated by every generation, right? Tell me where is fancy bread? started with music. Has that been a thing that you've been doing from since you were a kid? Yeah, I started writing songs probably when I was about seven or eight before I knew how to play a musical instrument. I was always drawn to songwriting more than anything else. 14, I took up guitar. Never got great at guitar. Good enough to know what I'm doing and to work in a studio efficiently, but definitely not one of these wizards on, on the guitar. <laughs> And it was always, always, always intertwined with songwriting. To me, the guitar, the bass, keyboard, it was a means to an end, and the end was a great song. And I spent so much time studying the Beatles, as so many people do, because the economy and the universality and the brilliance in their music, that is the gold standard. And I believe I mentioned earlier this professor, this was probably offline, who in college compared Shakespeare to the Beatles. Yeah. No equal, head and shoulders above the rest, funny, serious, profane, and connecting with every audience. And to me, in my mind, they were one and the same. So when I started the project, it was 
the initial question of, well, what would the Beatles do with Shakespeare? Or what would Shakespeare do with the Beatles? And the songwriting and the guitar was a very zigzag path to get there, but really started in earnest at about 14. And I want to say the first stabs were maybe three decades later at this stuff. <laughs> well, let's then... Then let's go to that song about uh, that's from Hamlet, Never Doubt That I Love. Because not only have you... I mean, I think you've played with the words in all the songs, but here you, you've actually written more words that are quotes from the play. I mean, you've really played with the language in a way to make this really a, bit, a major song from Hamlet that doesn't exist, except <laughs> now that it does. It's kind of this corny 30s thing, uh, torch song. And the idea was, again, to go against type. Hamlet is this wonderfully brooding, dark, serpentine tragedy with so many layers of uncertainty and supposition to it. Yet, there is this one moment where Hamlet writes a love letter to Ophelia, and he's frankly clumsy, and his words are not necessarily poetic in any way. And I knew immediately, because it would have been so tempting on the surface to go for the to-be-or-not-to-be soliloquy or something from the play within the play. But this is almost a light-hearted moment. Even Polonius is poking fun at it, and yet there was a problem. There weren't enough words. Yeah. And I really was aware of what my reaction might be as a fan if I saw somebody kind of writing words on top of Shakespeare. You know, I didn't want to do the whole graffiti thing out of hubris, but I frankly was just not able to work with enough from the letter, and so was pulling lines out literally in the studio as we were recording it. Well, is this love to be or not to be? (laughs) Yeah, it's corny. Of course it's corny, but the whole letter, when you think about it, is sort of corny. Doubt. Doubt the stars are fire. Doubt the sun that shines above. Doubt truth to be a liar, but never doubt I love. I, I know there are some guest vocalists on the on the album, but are there? Are, do you play all the instruments? It depends on the track. So I'll never doubt I love. I'm playing pretty much everything, but then brought in Paul Mertens, who is Brian Wilson's arranger, did the arrangement of pet sounds when they took it out on the road some years ago he's playing clarinet (coughs) pardon me and i actually did a little bit of sax underneath i can play exactly three notes on the saxophone and they worked in this case and the vocalist on the tracks this woman megan mcdonough who was a founding member of the band four bitch and babes which had a lot of adult alternative radio success in the 90s on stations like WXPN in Philadelphia and played all over the country and has gone on to great things on her own. She did a one-woman Patsy Cline show, and I knew I wanted a torch singer for this, and she was the natural to go to, and she nailed it. And some other tracks, Philomel, the Philomel's Lullaby, I'm playing everything on that. The Songs with bass drummers, for the most part, where I'm, what I mean by that, the songs with a foundational band. I'm mostly playing guitar, but overdub some acoustic guitar, some banjo, in some cases, um, doubling the bass part that was cut live to give it more 
counter melody or contrary motion. It really just depended on what the track is. I mean, I love doing all the instruments myself, but the core of the album is this amazing band of about six or seven musicians who gave it vibe and gave it life. Would you ever try to uh, 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 take this out on the road, tour this album, get a band, get the band together, perform it live, or 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 write a do a musical version of a Shakespeare play? Absolutely, I would take it out on the road. The decision I made that I think a lot of people make in their lives is that at one point having a family was very important to me. I was a full-time musician for six years before I came to Chicago, became a journalist, worked at the Chicago Tribune for 16 years and put records out. But when it was the put up or shut up time, go on the road or, you know, keep things at home stable, I always chose home and never had a regret about that because I've got two amazing kids, 17 and 15. They're both in theater and they love it and they're blossoming. But as they move on to college, now it's time to say, hmm, would I take this on the road? <laughs> so it really depends on that kismet. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. You can currently order by me and William Shakespeare by emailing composer Lou Carlozo directly at feedbacker at AOL.com. Then send us your Shakespeare songs via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSC Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener. Thanks, as always, to Lamenting Fool Matthew Croak, Web Services by Ginger Power Limited, Music by John Weber and Garage Band, and This Week by Luke Carlozo. A random fan shout-out this week goes to Daniel Rupp. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Amy Ratchford, the Managing Director of the American Shakespeare Center in Stanton, Virginia, which just hosted their annual Blackfriars Conference, which looks so fun on Twitter, I should probably try to go next year. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. I'm Austin Titchener, 672 2016ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. I'm working on a play based loosely on the songs. I'll probably have to go back and write more that explores the conceit of what would happen if Shakespeare came back from the dead a la Hamlet's father's ghost and collaborated with a struggling songwriter. I love that idea. I love it. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.